Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Reckless. As an adult, I've talked to many people about their childhood holiday traditions. And while a few of them talked about going Christmas caroling, only a handful of them had a Christmas caroling scene, like the Christmas caroling scene in my neighborhood. As a kid, I wasn't very shy about singing, I guess, and neither were my friends. And we recalled hearing our parents talk about going Christmas caroling when they were younger. And while Christmas caroling was a component of the area we lived in, it wasn't extremely popular. But one thing my friends and I learned was that, yes, in Christmas caroling, people would often offer you treats, something to warm you up from the cold, but they sometimes also offered you money for singing. And getting paid to sing around the holidays, Christmas songs, something I would have just done at home anyway, sounded like a pretty good deal. And my friends agreed. So we really went all out when it came to Christmas caroling during the holidays. It sort of mirrored how we went trick-or-treating. Whenever we could do it, we did it. And we would stay out for as long as possible. Just doing circuits around the neighborhood singing. You could do the hits, and people really liked them. Silent Night, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Everybody loves those. As we got more creative, though, we tried to come up with songs that weren't typical, things that we thought would be novel for people to hear. And my idea was to do music from the Rankin Bass Christmas specials, but unfortunately we couldn't agree on what the lyrics to some of the songs were, and we didn't have access to anyone who could tell us. But I thought, well, if we did these things, it would be a real kick for people, and we would probably get more money for doing so. And so I had another friend who had taped the year without a Santa Claus and other Rankin Bass specials. And I asked if I could borrow them for a little bit. And then I went about writing down all of the lyrics to every song I could find. And then because I didn't have a copy machine, I had to rewrite multiple copies for all my friends. Then one cold evening, we went out and sang some of these new songs and they went over like a lead balloon. They just wanted to hear Rudolph. They just wanted to hear Silent Night. Actually, what I think they wanted is something short Something that would allow them to get this over with, give us a couple of quarters, and allow them to close their door and stay in their nice warm house. I, of course, would not give up on the dream of these new songs. I thought if we could just do it well, maybe as a duet, maybe sort of dueling, that it would go over big. My friends were much more intelligent about it and said, we can't do this. This is not working. People looked at us like we were singing a made-up song that nobody knew, and that was also probably part of it. And so sadly, my Rankin-Bass experiment in Christmas caroling never really took off, but it did stick with me. And because of it, I knew a lot of the words to the Rankin-Bass Christmas specials. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about the special I really focused on, mostly because of two characters, Heat Miser and Snow Miser, and their song that I thought would be a huge hit in my neighborhood and was not, The Year Without a Santa Claus. We'll talk a little bit about the book behind it and the person who wrote it. We'll talk about the production, the company Rankin-Bass, 
the music, its broadcast history, its sequels, its remakes, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. told? Did you ever hear of the curious, furious, fidgety year when Santa Claus unhitched his sleigh and vowed he was taking a holiday? The Year Without a Santa Claus is a 1974 stop-motion Christmas television special produced by Rankin Bass. It is based on a 1956 book of the same name by Phyllis McGinley. So before we take a look at the special, I want to talk a little bit about the book and Phyllis McGinley specifically. Phyllis McGinley was an author and poet, was born in 1905 and passed away in 1978. Not very well known today, but had quite a reputation during her career. Her poetry specialized in humor and satire and stressed the positive aspects of suburban life. And she would win a Pulitzer Prize in 1961 because of her talent. Her work would appear in many publications, including The New Yorker and The Atlantic, as well as magazines like Ladies Home Journal. She would win many awards over her years and honorary degrees from multiple universities. While her poems are fun to read, and I suggest you check them out, it's her children's books that I wanted to focus on. She would write a handful of them, two of them Christmas-themed, the 1957 The Year Without a Santa Claus and the 1963 How Mrs. Santa Claus Saved Christmas. A Year Without a Santa Claus started when, in 1956, Good Housekeeping Magazine published a poem by McGinley of the same name. And this poem, which you'll recognize this plot if you've ever seen the animated special, talks about Santa not feeling well, rather worn out, and decides he's going to not do Christmas one year. And the effect that has on the children of the world who realize, well, maybe Santa deserves a year off. The poem turned out to be a hit, and a year later, she would partner with illustrator Kurt Wirth and would release a children's book called The Year Without a Santa Claus. A year later, Boris Karloff, just a few months before he passed away, recorded an LP version of the story for Capitol Records. Now, if you go to buy this book, know that they have updated it. The words might be the same in the new version but the art has changed dramatically. The original one was done by Kurt Wirth. Wirth was born in Germany in 1896 and passed away in 1983. He's best known for his work in children's books. He illustrated dozens of them. He would move to America right before World War II. And once here, he would become a political cartoonist and then would eventually find his way into illustrating children's books. 
Now, what would he think of his work being decoupled from the original book? He might be okay with it. He was very much in favor of trying to have a modern style on the works that were presented to children. He didn't want something that looked retro when he was doing it at the time. Instead, he was trying to do what he thought was very current. And now his work would look sort of retro. And this newer version has kind of more cartoony, a style that I'm seeing a lot in children's books, especially more modern ones. And if you compare the two, you'd see what I mean. You can actually find the original online at the Internet Archive. You just search The Year Without a Santa Claus. And there you can take the book out for an hour at a time and read it. It has all of the original illustrations, really pretty stuff. The one that's at Amazon that's for sale has art by John Manders. So you can find the original on eBay and other sources, not too expensive. So if you do want the original, maybe it's the one you grew up with and you want to pass it down to your children, you can easily find that. Or if it's all new to you, why don't you check out the one by John Manders? It is a great deal cheaper. Or if you're all digital, just go to the internet archive, find yourself a PDF copy and read it. So you have this successful book, poem, an LP version released. It's Christmas themed. So it's a perfect property for Rankin Bass to get interested in. Rankin Bass was an animation company. They primarily created traditional animation and stop motion animation productions. They were originally known as Videocraft International. Based out of New York, they created some of the most well-known animated specials, things like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and many, many others. Nearly all of the animation at Rankin Bass was outsourced to Japan, done by companies like MOM Productions, Mushi Productions, and Topcraft. Now, those were great production companies, and they did great work, and I think a lot of people are learning about them, but I want to take a moment, because I've touched upon this in other episodes I've done, but the Rankin-Bass stuff being done in Japan isn't common knowledge to everyone. And if you're trying to kind of find out who did this, you have to pause to try to read through those credits. Names can sometimes be confusing because people worked under different names and then they hired studios that changed their names. And frankly, a big thing that gets lost in animation is the people who do the day-to-day stuff, the below-the-line people in production. This includes animation. Over three dozen of Rankin-Bass's works were largely produced in Japan. And the stop-motion or animagic work on this special is credited to Akikazu Kono and Ichiro Komura. Kono had worked on other Rankin-Bass specials like Jack Frost, The Easter Bunny is Coming to Town, Rudolph's Shiny New Year, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And Komuro himself would work on another dozen of the specials. It's a shame that trying to find out more information about these very talented people, besides their credits, is difficult. It's a shame that right now it's harder to find these. But you can look these people up, see some of the works they did, And if you pause the credits, you might be able to spot their names and appreciate the work they did on this. Not all of the work was done in Japan. Production design was by Paul Coker Jr. Coker would work on dozens of productions. Some of his highlights include Rudolph's Shiny New Year, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey, which is a great one, amongst many others. Another very talented person. We wouldn't, of course, have any of those production people if we didn't have a story. And this story, while 
originally appearing in a book, was fleshed out by William J. Keenan. William Keenan got his start as a producer at Rankin Bass on their King Kong show in 1966. He would then go on to start writing dialogue. Then he went to work at Filmation for a bit and then would return to Rankin Bass and wrote scripts for most of their television specials starting in the late 60s. In the mid to early 70s, he then moved into doing some television work, writing scripts on shows like The Six Million Dollar Man and The Partridge Family. And he would continue to write there up until the 1980s, writing in 83 on The Smurfs. But before he left Rankin Bass in 1974, he would do one last holiday special, The Year Without a Santa Claus. The big names at the top of this special are the directors, and they are also the namesake of its production company, Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. Jules Bass was born in 1935, worked at an advertising agency, and then co-founded a film production company in New York. Not only would he produce music with a collaborator at Rankin Bass, Maury Laws, we'll talk a little bit more about later, writing lyrics for many of the most memorable songs from Rankin Bass. He would also act as producer and director with his partner, Arthur Rankin Jr. I was really happy recently to see in his credits that he had been brought on as a consulting producer on the 2020 TV series Thundercats Roar. Thundercats being one of the many, many contributions Rankin Bass has made to pop culture over the years. Arthur Gardner Rankin Jr., who passed away in 2014, was the other half of Rankin-Bass. He did a lot of the directing, producing, and writing. He would begin his career as an art director for the American Broadcasting Company in the 40s. And then in the mid-50s, he and Bass formed Videocraft International, which would eventually become Rankin-Bass. He was not on the music side of things. Instead, he focused on the script and character creation. He would often come up with, in partnership, concepts for the characters, which would be sent over to Japan, where they would be made into puppets that could be used in the stop-motion animation. As I mentioned, Thundercats earlier, another Rankin-Bass contribution to pop culture that might resonate really strongly nowadays was Rankin-Bass's work on J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. It's pretty great, especially for a generation that was really hungry to see anything from Middle-earth on any screen anywhere. Sunday, poor Santa's tuckered out. Nobody really cares anymore. And all the elves are out of work. What? And it will surely be a blue Christmas, unless there's a miracle in the nick of time. It's big trouble if it's a year without Santa. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about the plot of The Year Without a Santa Claus. If you haven't seen it or read the book, prepare for spoilers. It's before Christmas and Santa Claus wakes up not feeling well. He is kind of grumpy and doesn't think anybody cares about him anymore. He gets a doctor to look at him and basically it's kind of doom and gloom with Santa deciding... Nobody really cares about Santa anymore. It's time to take a holiday. Mrs. Claus smartly thinks, well, that's not right. We need Santa and tries to convince him that he needs to go and deliver those gifts. Santa is not having it. So she enlists two elves, Jingle and Jangle, to leave the North Pole and find proof that people still believe in Santa Claus. They set out with the youngest reindeer, Vixen, but when they travel through the Miser Brothers region, 
they are shot down. Snow Miser controls the world's cold weather, and Heat Miser is who makes it warm. They are both the sons of Mother Nature. Eventually, they make their way south far enough and visit Southtown, an area in the United States that has no snow because it's warm. They meet some kids who are skeptical. They lose Vixen, who gets taken in by the dog pound. Eventually, Mrs. Claus has to get involved. And what they really need here to prove to people that Santa's real is a miracle. And that's when the Miser Brothers come in. They come up with this deal where Snow Miser will be allowed to make it snow in the south in exchange for Heat Miser getting a day of no snow at the North Pole. Needless to say, during all of this, children learn that Santa's feeling unappreciated and under the weather and they start sending him letters telling him it's okay, but that they'll miss him and Santa is touched by the experience and decides that he is going to make sure that he gets those gifts to those kids. Happy ending, the end. It's a great work, has a lot of good songs and really good voice talent. Shirley Booth does Mrs. Claus. She's also the narrator. This would be her last project. Shirley Booth passed away in 1992. She is quite an actor, having won an Academy Award, two Emmy Awards, and three Tony Awards. And what a career, starting all the way back in 1925. But audiences at the time probably would have known her voice from her work as the titular character on the sitcom Hazel from 1961 to 1966. That's the show she would win her Emmy Awards for. But she would retire after doing this work in 1974. You have a good Mrs. Claus, you need a good Santa Claus, and they got Mickey Rooney to do the voice of Santa Claus. Mickey Rooney was born in 1920, passed away in 2014, was at one time one of the biggest stars in the world. He was a actor, producer, vaudevillian, worked for nine decades and would appear in over 300 films. In 2014, he was one of the last surviving working stars of the silent film era and was the top box office draw from 1939 to 1941. Pretty amazing career. After that, his career would decline in terms of films, but he would find a lot of work on TV and then would start lending his voice to things, so continued to work consistently. Snow Miser was voiced by Dick Sean. Sean passed away in 87, was a comedian and actor who played a lot of different roles over the years, usually small stuff, but generally stole the show whenever he was in. You might remember him as Lorenzo Saint-Dubois in the 1967 version of The Producers. He would perform stand-up for over 35 years, so a pretty compelling performer. If you have the opportunity to check him out, you should. There's some stuff posted online. If you've ever seen the 80s series Amazing Stories, he starred in the Miss Stardust episode, which was directed by Toby Hooper. Heat Miser was voiced by George S. Irving. Irving passed away in 2016. Was primarily a Broadway actor to television audiences or people who are not plugged into theater. He's probably best known as the voice of Heat Miser. If you did listen to the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark audiobooks, though, he was the one who narrated those. So Bob McFadden was Jingle Bells. He was a singer and impressionist. He would voice Frankenberry in the General Mills Frankenberry serial commercials, as well as Snarf on the Thundercats. Bradley Bulk voiced Jangle Bells. He passed away in 2019. Most of his work was from the early 60s until 
about the time of A Year Without a Santa Claus. So this would probably be the one thing that most people would know him for. Rounding out the cast, you had Rhoda Mann as Mother Nature and Mrs. Thistlewhite, Colin Duffy as Iggy Thistlewhite, Ron Marshall as Mr. Thistlewhite, also the mayor of Southtown. And I just love that the name of the children's choir that you hear in the special is credited to the Wee Winter Singers. Mickey Rudy invites you to spend a mini vacation at his Tavis Resort Hotel in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Enter Mickey's world of fun and relaxation. Enjoy swimming, bowling, tennis, golf, or drive through Amish country, the Brandywine Valley, or Longwood Gardens. Then back to your comfortable room for a rest, sumptuous gourmet meals, and live entertainment in Mickey's Starlight Nightclub. Mickey Rooney's Tavis Resort Hotel. You'll love everything but leave it. Call 1-800-345-8220 for reservations. A lot of what I found compelling about the year without a Santa Claus when I was a kid was the music. And while Bass would help with the music, a lot of it was written by Maury Laws, who would write a lot of the music for Rankin Bass. Laws passed away in 2019, started really early in the 30s as a country and jazz guitarist in his home state of North Carolina, then joined the army in World War II. When he got out, he got into music full-time. And in 1964, he was hired as the music director for Rankin Bass and would do that role until 1984. So while there, he worked on things like The Hobbit, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and of course the special I covered recently, Mad Monster Party. The soundtrack for The Year Without a Santa Claus was never released commercially, although people have compiled some stuff online. It seemed really like a great idea for a vinyl release. I imagine you could do a very interesting picture disc for this one or some sort of design, maybe a giant peppermint, I don't know. If you were to go online and look for versions of this, people have posted it on YouTube and other audio services, usually with 11 tracks. And some highlights include The Year Without a Santa Claus, I Could Be Santa Claus, I Believe in Santa Claus. It's very Santa Claus-centric. And then, of course, the Snow Miser song and the Heat Miser song. In addition to that, they have Blue Christmas, which is a song most people might have heard of outside of this special. And, of course, instrumentals like Sleigh Ride. It's a great soundtrack. And if you look online, you'll find that people have made CD versions that they sell, but they're not original releases. They're just taken from other sources. The Year Without a Santa Claus premiered on ABC television on December 10th, of 1974 and would pretty much air annually after that for decades. As TV got more fractured and ownership of Rankin Bass's materials shuffled around, it would itself move around, landing on CBS and eventually on Freeform, AMC, many, many places. I loved watching this live whenever I could on television. I don't know why, but something about a Christmas special seems to make the commercials more enjoyable or something. And when they're not there, I miss them. But that didn't mean I wasn't pretty excited when this was released on home video. And it was released by Vestron in September of 1991 as part of their Christmas classic series, which was distributed by Family Home Entertainment. Then in 1992, Warner Home Video would release it and it would be re-released again in September of 1999. They seemed to time that right before the release of it on DVD for the first time the very next year in October of 2000. And then seven years later, they would release a deluxe edition DVD. It didn't take long for them to realize that there was demand for it on 
Blu-ray, and in 2010, this would become the first Rankin-Bass production to get a release in that format. Some of these are worth tracking down. The Blu-ray really looks interesting. You could see details that you would never see on TV. Some of it you probably weren't supposed to see. But if you check whatever you're buying, make sure there have been some special features that have come out over the years. Sometimes they fold in other specials into the release. Others have a featurette about Rankin and Bass and also an introduction to the stop motion process. Well, you can't do a special this successful without something to follow it up with. And Two things have followed up The Year Without a Santa Claus, a live-action remake, and then a sequel. And we'll talk about the live-action remake first. In 2006, The Year Without a Santa Claus was released on television. It was a live-action remake of the animated special from 1974. It would premiere on NBC on December 11th, 2006, and the very next day would get a DVD release. Two big differences from the original are that this one was moved to modern times as opposed to the original The Year Without a Santa Claus, which took place probably around the turn of the last century, maybe a little bit afterwards based on what you're seeing in the background. They also eliminated most of the music from it. Thankfully, they kept the miser songs in it, although they kind of smushed them together. They also include some new pop culture references and, of course, some subplots that weren't in the original. Besides some decent performances in it, and I don't want to depress anybody who finds this to be their favorite special, I don't think it has the magic of the original. Still, as I said, some of the performances are pretty good, and if you haven't seen it before, you might enjoy it. In December of 2008, A Miser Brothers Christmas, which was a stop-motion spin-off of the 1974 original, was released. It was distributed by Warner Brothers Animation and would premiere on ABC Family during their 25 Days of Christmas programming. What's exciting about this is Mickey Rooney and George Irving would reprise their roles of Santa and Heatmiser. Snowmiser and Mrs. Gloss, unfortunately, were voiced by different actors, the original actors having passed away. It's fun to watch because they really try hard to emulate the style of the original Rankin-Bass animation. It's not as good, but still fun and nice to see Mickey Rooney and George Irving do the voices again. If you have become a big The Year Without a Santa Claus fan, you probably noted that there is merchandise available for The Year Without a Santa Claus. Releases by Funko, Hallmark, and NECA. And unsurprisingly, some of it is pretty collectible. I imagine there are people who are using it to decorate their house this time of year. And frankly, the visuals and character design are just so great that having these things around the house can't help but make you smile when you see them. So it makes sense that people would want to collect it, even if it is something that seems seasonal. If this special did anything to pop culture, it introduced two very likable new characters, the Miser Brothers, and the mythology around them. Much like in Rudolph, where we get to meet the Misfit Toys and Herbie, this special finds a way to introduce new characters to the Christmas character mythology that stick with audiences who've seen it. And so I would say if I were looking at the legacy of The Year Without a Santa Claus, it would be the addition of the Miser Brothers. And I think despite the fact that there's merchandise available for this that features them heavily, I don't think they've done enough with the Miser Brothers. I think there's actually a lot more that could have been done with them and probably 
will be done with them in the future. So if you are looking for something to watch this holiday season, something with great music, fun character design, wonderful animation, why not put on The Year Without a Santa Claus? It's got a great story based on a fun book, and it has the happy ending we all want this time of year. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. You can follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. Just look up his username, which is PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show via reviews. If you have not taken the opportunity to give the show a positive review wherever you've downloaded it, please do. It really helps other people find the show. I also want to thank everyone who's been supporting the show via Patreon. If you want to support the show via Patreon, you can drop by patreon.com retroist. And those who join us at Patreon get member-only episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, and access to the Retroist Discord. I want to thank everybody who's been contributing there. Frank Adams, Jamie H., Mark Withe, Alan Gerton, John Vales, Petros Malikos, Josh Stafford, Veronica J. Valentini, and Peter Shannon. Thank you all for contributing. You helped drive this show forward, and I look forward to talking to you on Discord. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend and a Merry Christmas. And vowed he was taking a holiday. Must be nice. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.